Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, if you didn't see it, it didn't happen. We're talking, you cracked it, Ben. Minos is Bon Jovi. And we're talking... Welcome back, Zoe. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And oh, we're talking, does anybody want to hand me keys? <laughs> oh my god, my favorite character in this movie. I Okay, that's kind of my problem. Is like I actually think that the lead characters in this movie are the least interesting characters. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's boring protagonist syndrome for days, even though we like these actors. But these new characters are very fun. Very, very fun. Even though, I mean, by all accounts, any review you read, like, oh, these aren't characters. They're one-dimensional. We know nothing about oh, them. sure, sure. But honestly, like, I think they're also... It's the actors. It, it is the actors. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> we, <laughs> We're we, excited. <laughs> we are discussing. Adam Robitaille's escape room tournament of champions and this is funnily enough did you remember so we did cover the very first escape room um it was our first patreon episode ever back in 2019 absolutely wild yeah and then I think we released it on the main feed but it's definitely one of those I think we put a concession on it like hey don't judge us too badly we were really new at this <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can confidently say that I have not listened to one of our 2019 episodes um, in a very long time. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we are discussing, um, I, I think this might be the most, like, recent release we are actually like, newly covering on the main feed, but, um... No, that would be We're All Going to the World's Fair, which ooh. we covered a week after it came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. But this is pretty new. This is the two-year anniversary of this film, Trace. That is Honestly, like, I can't believe it's been two years since this came out. I mean, I know it was kind of like pandemic era, but that whole mm -hmm. phase of our lives is such a blur for me. Oh, 100%. This was actually my very first post, quote unquote, pandemic film. I took my Salon Macabre group and we had a blast. We had drinks and then we went to the movie and we were like, this is great. The movies are back, baby. And they kind of were and they sort of are, but the pandemic's not over. So shh, meh, whatever. <laughs> June 2023. I'm sorry. July 2023. Y'all, you heard it here 
Not first. Not first. Um, <laughs> anyway, Trace, we're not alone. We are not alone. So let's bring in our guest, everyone. Uh, you know her as the lead games critic for Bloody Disgusting, and you've also read her work at Fangoria and The Rap. You may also remember her from our episodes on The Silence of the Lambs and Flesh for Frankenstein. Please welcome back Reina Cervantes. Ooh. Hi, hello. Ooh, look at that. A new job title with my name this time around. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had a different one every time, but honestly, I think this one's going to stick just fine. I go. think so, too. I like Bloody Disgusting. They're, yeah, they're okay. all right. <laughs> <laughs> eh, we all have our feelings about them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, um, welcome. So, so I think maybe something that's probably, well, I was going to say it's the more fun movie hmm. you've discussed, but Flesh for Frankenstein was a fun movie. Yeah, a hundred percent fun movie. We've gotten funner every time I've come on. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. You know what? We're we're moving away from like the sad queer films into more joyful, more entertaining queer films. Yeah, this is very much. Um, I don't know. I wrote in my review for it. I was like, it's not high art, but I kind of don't care because mm. I find this. I mean, we've said fun. I also do think this movie really nails suspense. Like, you know how much oh, of a yeah. sucker I am for like close calls. And this is a movie that is made up of close calls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, this to me is like Saw movies for people who don't like torture porn. Mm -hmm. But also, ironically enough, Trace, we've had a lot of conversations about gateway horror recently. We talked about it on our Patreon episode for The Boogeyman. Uh, you will hear us talk about it in our Patreon episode for Cobweb coming mm -hmm. up. But this feels to me like very good gateway thriller horror for like teenage girls come out get a little edge of your seat action and maybe then dive into something a little harder i will gently push back on your teenage girls clarification i'm just going to say teenagers <laughs> i mean i think that these movies appeal more to girls i'm gonna put it out there that's fair um we can discuss that then okay reina i'm curious so what are your thoughts on the first film so the first one, I kind of saw at the time when I was managing an AMC, and mm. we stayed one night after work, and I screened it for the crew. Oh, love that. I thought it was actually a super solid, tight little thriller that was good mm -hmm. until it shat the bed in like the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. But I was very surprised that how much I super enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this is like pg-13 saw i would show this mm -hmm. for, to somebody who is like somewhat interested in the saw movies but doesn't know if they can handle the gore like right. this is a good like dip your toes in the water type thing yeah. mm -hmm. out of curiosity reyna do you remember what the gender breakdown was oh like at that theater <laughs> uh yeah there were you know what? I'm going to be honest. There were a lot of women at that cruise screening. Oh, ding, 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 <laughs> ding. In your face, Trace. I, I'm just saying, saying like, <laughs> like saying that this like is like more for teenage girls. I'm kind of like, okay, so what you're implying then is that girls can't handle the extreme gore of Saw, but boys can't, so they don't need a movie like this. Oh, I didn't say anything about who the intended <laughs> audience for Saw is, but no, I mean, I just think that Taylor Russell is a really great lead and a really good face for this franchise. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yes, a uh, uh, person of color as well. Yay. She was actually plastered all over that poster. She was the only person on the poster for that first movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, so why don't we talk about how this got made? And everyone, um... We are aware there are two cuts of this film. There is a theatrical cut that aired in theaters, and there is an extended cut that was released on the Blu-ray and 
is apparently available on some VOD rental services. I know Voodoo is one of them as of this mm -hmm. recording, but we will cover that portion at the end of the film because, um, honestly, it's an entirely different film for the most part. It so is. It is the wildest thing. I have never seen an extended cut that does this to a film, and it's really fucking excited. But yeah, we're going to talk theatrical first. Yes, absolutely. So, okay. So the first escape room opened on January 2nd, 2019. So, you know, I don't know if y'all remember this, but it's very much like, a, oh, it's January. It's going to suck. The studio has no confidence in it. Blah, 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 blah. Um, this movie was made for $9 million and it grossed $57 million domestically and $98 million overseas for a yeah. worldwide gross of $155 million. That's how you get a sequel. Good lord. That's that's what I'm saying, right? This movie made oh, almost Bank. like 15 times its budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a month later, a sequel was announced. And um, they were like, okay, it's an active development. We're going to bring back Adam Robitaille. He's going to direct. And we're also going to bring back screenwriter Bragi F. Schutt, who co-wrote the first film with Maria Melnick. So he is not credited on this movie on the sequel hmm. screenplay maria melnick is along okay. with three other screenwriters so something happened along the way you know what four people four well, but here's the thing mm -hmm. <laughs> oh no how many of those people wrote extended versus theatrical right mm-hmm the, unfortunately, y'all, we do not know. We will be speculating, but we have we have thoughts. <laughs> we have thoughts, but very few actual details. No, no details. I'm sure in like 10 years, it'll be like a tell-all or something. Or if a, if a third one ever comes out, we'll find out. I don't know. I know. Huh. But when discussing ideas for the sequel, Robitel said that he really wanted to look into Minos. Uh, of course, the company that oversees all the escape rooms in these movies. Um, how powerful they are, given that the ending of the first one implied that they may be more powerful, sinister, and given to surveilling than previously thought. And I'm going to say this right now, y'all. You've got to suspend a lot of disbelief for this movie because <laughs> um, none of this is realistic in the slightest. Not just the rooms themselves, but how they get people into these rooms. It makes no fucking sense. Uh, no, but honestly, if that's your biggest problem, if you can just let it go, you'll have a great time. Oh, yeah. I saw so many reviews that were like, oh, it's really dumb and stupid and not realistic. And I was like, I don't think it's trying <laughs> no to shit. <laughs> it's a movie called Escape Room. Of course, like you got to suspend disbelief at some point because you're like, there's no way these people can solve these rooms. Oh my god, can you imagine how boring a real escape room horror movie would be? It's like five insufferable assholes trapped in a room the size of my bedroom going, is it a number or a lock? <laughs> well, and I think that's actually why I like the second one. I do prefer this for the first one, to be honest. And I think it's Me because I, I like that we don't have to go through the whole like, oh, what's going on? Like, what? oh my god, it's really they're trying to kill us. But I also think the characters in this one, save for, you know, Deborah Ann Wall in that, well, in the first movie and one of these second movies. I do think that this cast of characters is more, uh, uh, not even just likable, but they're more, they're just I fun. think they're more interesting. They are definitely more likable. Like, I can never remember his name, but that guy from Insecure, I remember we had a huge issue with him just randomly turning into a fucking dick who tries to murder everybody else. Yeah. And you're like, Ugh, it's the cube effect. But... I don't know. The people in this movie, because they've all survived, we don't have to onboard them. They're just immediately kind of into it. And I think the person who's least likable is also the first to die. So I'm just like, cool, people I like are moving forward. Okay, but is he the... What makes you say that Theo, and this is the um, 
the Carlito Oliveira character, what makes you mm-hmm. say he's the least likable? Because for me, it just, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know a ton about these characters other than yep. whatever their thing was that had their first escape room and maybe one or two more personal details. Sure. But I think my issue with him is that we just, we just don't get enough time to with him to like know who this person is outside of he's late for his wife's birthday (laughs) there is that yes uh he has a hearing disability because of his events in the first film or sorry in his game which we don't see but um i i think it's just he's the one who's most resistant like he doesn't want to play along he's kind of actively Mm. resisting their efforts to get out of this and as a result i'm more prepared for him to go that's fair that's fair I think the cast is far more entertaining in this film compared to the first one. Like you said, like the first one is kind of just a group of insufferable assholes. And this Mm -hmm. one, because they've played it, it's like, okay, let's go. They like pull up their sleeves and they're like right into it. Right. This is catching fire to the Hunger Games. You know, I'm so surprised. (laughs) I can't believe it took us this long to compare it to Catching Fire, which everyone should know is the best Hunger Games movie. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, yeah, I I love this vibe of it. If anything, I just wish we had some flashbacks to the other games so we could see maybe some Mm. of their trauma. (laughs) Can I say that I fucking love this title? Like the moment Mm -hmm. it was announced, I was like, that is the greatest sequel title I think I've ever seen. That's amazing. It it totally just primes you to the point where I'm surprised we don't have the characters going head to head, for which I'm very happy. I'm happy that we still have to work together. I think yeah. it's fun to see these characters have to solve it together. But it also feels like, ooh, yeah, give me that juice. I want to know what went on in these other games. Because we definitely got teases of it in the first film, you mm-hmm. know, with that big reveal that Minos is far more all-encompassing than we realize. But there's something incredibly exciting about getting to see survivors having to go through it again. Yeah, 100%. I won't, I won't mention it, but there was like one previous game that was mentioned that I was like, Oh, mm. I want like a spin-off movie focusing on that. Was it the submarine? No, oh, no. It's the the pain-free one, right? Yeah, it's uh, the oh. one. It's the one where she's like, "Oh, what what do you do like for an escape room for a bunch of pain freaks?" And I was like, "Oh god, please do like an R-rated spin-off to this series Oof. focusing on that." Mm. It's got to be psychological torture, right? Because they wouldn't be able to physically hurt them. Yes, maybe? or or me, or, or me. I mean, because here's the thing: even if you can't feel pain, I wonder if it's like under the, they're they're mutilating them in some way. But like, so you have to see it happen, even though you, I, mm. I don't know. Who knows? But <laughs> okay, so the first bit of casting news that came out about this movie. It was in October of 2019. This is less than a year after the first movie comes out. But hey, Collider reports that Isabel Fuhrman had joined the cast of this film, along with Mm. returning cast members Taylor Russell and Logan Miller. And if you haven't seen the extended cut of this film, you might be thinking, Isabel Fuhrman? I didn't see her in this movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I didn't see that orphan girl in this movie. She is not in the theatrical cut. Um, I will end it there. We will talk about her at length at the end of this episode. But... um, Good lord. <laughs> Later that month, they filled out the rest of the cast with Holland Roden, Thomas Cockerell, uh, India Moore, and Carlito Oliveira. Uh, Deborah M. Wool is not mentioned because, again, I'm pretty sure that was meant to be a big surprise in the theater when you saw this movie. Mm. Or we'll talk about it at the end yeah. where we get to the extended cut. <laughs> well, so here's the thing, you know, because this is a pandemic film. So this film was originally scheduled to be released on April 17th, 2020, a month after lockdown happened. And so... Right. 
Its release date was subsequently changed several times, and oh after God, being pulled, so many times, <laughs> uh, it's wild. Like four, right? Yes. After yeah. being pulled, so it was pulled in May 2020, and they were like, "Cool, we're going to release it January 1st, 2021," because the pandemic will surely be over by then. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so October 2020 happens, and Sony's like, "Okay, well, this isn't going to work." So they pull it from January 1st, like we're going to release it in a TBD 2021 date. <laughs> we all love that. All those movies, yep. <laughs> Come January 2021, they're like, hey, um, we're going to now release it January 7th of 2022. So push back a whole year. Mm-hmm. But then just three months later, in April 2021, they were like, you know what? Things are looking a little bit better. We have better prospects for theatrical releases. So we're going to release it in three months. I'm sorry. Yeah, three months. July 16th, 2021. And that is the date they stuck with. And then they revealed the full title, Escape Room Tournament of Champions, on May 20th, 2021. Dolly Parton was like, you know what? I got a vaccine. I want to see that Escape Room too." <laughs> I'm not sure that release date was the greatest idea. No. Well, here's it the thing. hurts the box office for sure. It. It was definitely an experiment. And so, okay. So it's released July 16th, and it opened in third place with $8.8 million. Now, the budget for this one was slightly higher than the first one. We're looking at a $15 million budget. Ooh. Okay. In first place that weekend, though, was the other new wide release, Space Jam A New Legacy, with $31 million. And second place was Black Widow in its second weekend, and it grossed $25 million. So it's like $31 million, $25 million, $9 million. Mm-hmm. It was rough at the theater the week it came out for that movie. I remember because uh, I was working at a Regal by the time the second one came out. So mm-hmm. uh, I remember we were like doing bookings for it. And uh, halfway through like its first week, we were like, oh, yeah, half of the showings already got pooled. Yeah. Smaller theaters and or fewer showings. Mm-hmm. Well, and the interesting thing, though, hey, okay, so. This movie did not do day and date. It was only theatrical. Right. Both Space Jam A New Legacy and Black Widow were day and date, mm-hmm. where they were streaming the same day they hit theaters. And so they still made that much money, whereas this poor little movie makes $8.8 million opening weekend. I think the difference is, is that it was a Marvel film and it was a legacy sequel. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Not only was this movie going to have difficulty gaining traction outside of its horror core base i think there were a lot of people who just thought i'll watch this movie on netflix when it shows up like they probably would have done better maybe not theatrically but they probably would have made a lot of money on vod if they had just done like a premium dump well but i think rain is right though i honestly think if they would have kept the january 2022 release date oh uh uh-huh i think they would have done better however you know what other big legacy sequel came out in january of 2022 scream scream Mm -hmm. oh i also remember i believe it was not long after escape room came out uh candy man came out yeah so that would have been august of 2021 and that like took like all the all the horror crowds at the theater like escape room was for people who couldn't get into the r-rated one at my theater (laughs) yeah i mean well and here's the thing too if they stuck with january 7 2022 scream came out the next week so it would have had to have made most of its money that first weekend but i mean that being said this movie wasn't a flop 
No. It, it, it went on to, so it only grossed 25.3 million domestically, which is a little under half of what it made, of what the first one made domestically. But then it made 40.7 million internationally. So its worldwide gross was 66 million against that $15 million budget. Mm-hmm. So it definitely turned a profit, but it's a 59% drop from the gross of the first movie. Yikes. Yeah, which statistically it looks so bad but i feel like the studio has not taken into consideration the fact that for a lot of folks this was one of the first films that they would have gone back to theaters for like this Mm -hmm. is not a good test model and i don't know i mean i'm biased because i actually really like this franchise and Mm -hmm. i'm desperate for a third one particularly when we go to that extended cut but it just I think there's a ton of promise in this, and I don't know why we're not just churning these out for somewhere between 7 and $15 million every two to three years. Well, and so, okay, I will, I will just say one thing about this. This is what makes me think that this whole extended cut thing was planned way in advance, because Ooh. I think picking this July 2021 release date, it was a big gamble. They did not mm-hmm. know if this was going to work or not. And so right. I think they had, hey, but you know what? We're going to add extra incentive on the home video release by mm. having a completely different version of the film to as like a right. safety net in case we don't make a bunch of money in theaters. Mm-hmm. But I, again, that's one theory. <laughs> well, do we even know if it was like a hit on home video at all? No. Uh, no clue. I don't even know where we get home video numbers, to be honest. Yeah, they used to do it on like the numbers or like boxoffice.com or something. But I don't know how much people are tracking physical revenue anymore, which is frustrating because like back in the heydays of the 90s, you could find those numbers and it was often astronomical, like the business people were doing from Blockbuster and then just like home video sales were huge. Yeah, Yeah, you would get sequels greenlit just based on what movies did on home video market. Mm -hmm. Well, and honestly, too, like, I mean, you know, Joe, you mentioned you, know, you 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 can't think of any time that a movie has like this different of a version released on home video. And so honestly, like if I'm recommending physical media to someone and you like Escape Room and Escape Room Tournament of Champions, I'd be like, well, you know, what? you really need to get the Blu-ray because 100 like, it, percent, it's it's worth it just for I mean, not for the bonus features because there's nothing there, no. but for for two movies. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, because yeah. it's weird to have it come out like the same time the theatrical hit the home video market, because mm-hmm. usually you'll get like a director's cut like one to two years later or like mm-hmm. super later on, like Justice League and Superman 2 did. But yep. That's yeah, what... they're trying to goose the the revenue, right? Like, oh, yeah. you've already bought that version, but now buy this version. Whereas here, it's almost like, oh, uh, did you like the theatrical cut? How about a whole other film? Like, we're basically giving it away for free. And that's yeah. why I think it was planned. I think it was planned. But again, we can discuss. Okay, Minos. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, review-wise, honestly, I, for, I, again, I have a memory of this getting horrible reviews. Um, we're looking at a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average rating of 5.1 out of 10. That is mm-hmm. only 4% lower than the first one, which has 55%. Yeah, but I feel like people weren't super positive on the first one like i think it was the same criticisms oh this is dumb oh these characters are slight oh this is just schlocky thrills what i remember and i was cooler on the first film than you were when we discussed it joe but Mm -hmm. it was one of those where it's like oh it's not as bad as you would think a movie called escape room would be and so (laughs) i think it was getting a lot of like two and a half three stars c plus b minuses like that was kind of what the general consensus was on that but 
Right. I will say these films have huge rewatchability. Like if you just are looking for comfort horror on a Friday night, like grab a beer, grab a bottle of wine, just sit down, double bill these fucking films. It is a real good time. I watched it with friends last night and they enjoyed it. We all had a blast watching the second one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk about some of these set pieces because I think they're great. Um, and, and that's the thing, too. Some of the reviews that were negative were like, it's more of the same. And I was like, you know what? It no, is. <laughs> but it, it, for me, the first one feels like a test run. And this one kind of like right. really fixes a lot of my issues that I have with the first one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one is so much more confident, I find. I agree. Um, but yeah, Metacritic, we're looking at a 48 out of 100. We've got a B cinema score, which is the exact same as the first movie. And Letterboxd users have given it a 5.2 out of 10. Um, oh, and I guess we should probably just reiterate. Um, the reason that we're also covering this is because A, Adam Robitel, queer director, and mm-hmm. India Moore, trans actress. There we go. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go on the record that this is a very... I was going to say fun. This is an interesting case of representation. And Reyna, I would love to hear if you feel differently or the same. But I love that this is not a trans character. This is literally just a woman who is a survivor of a previous game. She is not identified as trans. She, I mean, technically doesn't have any sexuality because we're too busy <laughs> trying to fight for our fucking lives. But it's just like, yeah, we cast this amazing actress who everybody loved on Pose and she's just here, like killing it. I personally love that. I, I hate when movies like cast like a trans character and then kind of make it a focal point to make their identity like a bullet mm-hmm. point in the movie right i'm like oh here like she's just another human in this <laughs> like terrible ass situation like it's no trauma dump about her transition or anything yeah. it's just like she's here deal with it we're all in this situation mm-hmm. well, and i'm happy to see because this is um uh we just saw that earlier this year with evil dead rise right the danny character is played <laughs> right. by a trans actor uh but but as far as we know the character in the film is not trans so mm-hmm. uh, I, I i like that we're seeing more mainstream specifically horror releases doing right. this mm-hmm. yeah the horror genre has uh some amends to make i think for the representation <laughs> of trans over the history so whatever we can do to just be like hey there's some really great actors and many of them happen to be trans let's put them in fucking movies and let them do their thing well yeah like half of the cast of yellow jackets is like non-binary right oh yeah that's never like brought up or anything Mm -hmm. their characters aren't affected by it it's like cool every everyone is just a great actor and they're on board for this yeah yeah also, Trace, I do want to highlight the fact that uh, you shat on Adam Robitel pretty did. heavily in last week's Insidious 2 episode. So, uh, folks, if you want to hear Trace make amends, yeah. because he had some apologizing to do about the last key, a.k.a. Insidious 4, you should go and listen to our Patreon episode on the franchise. Yes, and Adam Robitel, if you were listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The last key was better than I remembered it being, and that is all I will say. Go listen to our episode. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, okay, but but that, that's all I've got, Joe. So let's let's start with the theatrical cut of this film. All 
All right, let's do it. So we open with a recap of the first film. So if you haven't seen the first film, folks, you can actually dive right in. Like this movie makes it very easy for you. It feels very Saw-ish, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, just a bit. Um, but I will say that this movie's much less convoluted than any of the Saw films. And I say that as someone who loves the Saw films. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we open with Zoe, who was played by Taylor Russell. And folks, uh, if you want to know the versatility of this actor, this is the same person from her cannibal film from Bones last and year. Bones and all. Bones and all. There we go. <laughs> so it, it's fun to see kind of both ends of the spectrum that she is kind of playing in within the horror genre. Well, it's funny. I was trying to because I, I was like, I knew her from something else before this, and I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was. Yeah, because you haven't seen The Leftovers, right? I have, girl, she is not in the, le I don't know who you keep thinking this leftovers person is, but it's not her because you did that in Bones and All too. God damn it. <laughs> uh, well, hey, she was in that movie Before I Fall that I think you really like with Zoe Deutsch. Um, oh, Joe. no, I don't like that movie, but I do like Zoe Deutsch. <laughs> okay. Um, she was in Waves, which I have not seen, but apparently is amazing. Oh, that Yuck. one's good. Yeah. Oh, okay, Raina, we'll oh. fight about this offline. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard nothing but amazing things about that movie. Here's the thing. The plot of that movie is not good, but the performances are out of this world. I will agree with that. Okay. Everything else about it, I'm not a fan of. Fair. Interesting. Well, it has a very, very, very positive critical reception. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what I was trying to say, though, she's Judy in the Lost in Space reboot from Netflix. Mm -hmm. That's where I always get the leftovers. TV yeah. comparison wrong. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also, everybody just needs to go out and watch Bones and all because her performance in that movie is like great, top tier, like exceptional. Yeah. 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 I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the movie where I think the performances are better than the film itself. <laughs> okay. You know what? I respect that. It's I respect fine. that take. It's a fine <laughs> movie. I just don't love it. Um, go yeah, I think it's a movie that'll age better, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. So Zo Zoe's in therapy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Zoe's in therapy. Yeah. So she's she's talking to her therapist, who is played by Lucy Newman Williams. And we do get a kind of, let's say, Easter egg where we're talking about Amanda. We're referencing Amanda and Zoe's relationship with her. We're reminded that Amanda has a daughter. Please put this away for the end of the film. I will say, though, something immediately the theatrical cut does that I don't really like. Because if y'all remember, the end of the first movie, which Raina and I have already said is kind of where the film shits the bed. Mm -hmm. We cut to, you know, oh, it's a, it's a new escape room in an airplane. But oops, it's revealed that it's Minos doing a test escape room because they're saving mm -hmm. it for Zoe for her upcoming flight with Ben. Right. We kind of, in this version, immediately wipe that away. We get a kind of not super yep. clear flashback where it's like, oh, her and Ben did try to go on a plane, but she couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Right. But it's all kind of like rushed through where I'm kind of like, okay, so we're not going to pay off the ending of the first movie. I jumped into this one after not re-watching the first one, and I right. was confused because I was like, isn't she supposed to be on a plane that's like mm -hmm. an escape room? Like, what happened with all that? What was mm -hmm. that set up for? Yeah, we fully just wipe it away, but we, we do kind of come back to it. <laughs> Honestly, it will have to be when we get to the ending, because that's my main issue with this movie is it feels so slight in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. right yeah the the theatrical cut 
when you look at the criticisms that a lot of people have with the second film is that it does in some ways feel like a carbon copy, right? Like we're not really getting a lot of advancement on Zoe or Ben and particularly with this thing, right? Like she had issues with flying in the first film because that was her trauma with her mom's death. And here it's like, okay, so we're opening with this therapist saying, what do we have to do to get you back on that plane? And it feels like wait, didn't we already do this? What was the point of the okay. end of the first film? I thought I was tripping because I watched this theatrical cut and I was like, wow, there was like zero progress made in this movie like mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, b- b- Because the way that this version ends is basically how it should have started. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because it's like in a weird way, they almost have the exact same ending. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it was like, it's really expensive to shoot on a plane and to fake a crash. So we're just not sure that we want to go there. Like, I can imagine us getting a third film where we actually do open with the expected plane escape room kind of game. It's like if your first movie made over $100 million, you can afford a plane crash (laughs) in the sequel. Okay, but (laughs) Rado, they only gave him 15. But Okay, but the whole concept of this plane escape room, I'm like, okay, so wait, so is everyone in there a Minos employee and also mm-hmm. are they all going to die if Zoe doesn't solve that's the- what I thought too and <laughs> that's holograms. what I had questions about oh holograms for days okay so <laughs> we just don't happen to see I guess you don't touch people on airplanes but still exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah okay so all this to say Zoe is not prepared to get on a plane. She she has been working up to it because she wants to go to New York because she has been doing surveillance footage on Google or, you know, whatever fictitious web app search (laughs) thing we're doing. But uh, basically, she wants to go there with Ben because she is really fucking mad like the i will say the the biggest change in zoe in this film is that she is not meek she is not quiet and yeah. she is actually kind of full of rage which i love for a young black woman in america mm-hmm. yeah I, she, she's much more interesting here than she is in the first movie but again it's right. just, she still has to kind of be like the like she's the good one she's the problem mm-hmm. solver and i'm like yeah but you have this like really like li- like larger than life characters surrounding you i mean granted zoe is more interesting than ben sure mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah agree i would agree with that <laughs> yeah and and honestly no shade to logan miller because i do mm-hmm. think he is actually more dynamic and interesting in this sequel as well but yeah these are the people who have to anchor the movie and they're a little bit boring because at the end of the day they're the people who are most likely to survive sure mm-hmm. okay so yes uh after her therapy session she comes out ben is waiting for her and they say you know what my therapist really wants me to get on a plane. Fuck that shit. I'm in control of my destiny. We're going to drive. So we've also got a little bit of flirtation going on in this car ride and also in the motel room. And then we get a nightmare fake out sequence as the roof comes down and it's fine. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Yeah, um, I, you know, Joe, I think we may have like a Patreon minisode coming up where we talk about horror tropes we are ready to see, like, never to never see again. Mm-hmm. Um, really scary set piece and oops, sorry, it's a character's nightmare is one that I am done with. I am so over it. It's tired. Yeah. The whole movie just begins on like a weird note of like a therapy mm-hmm. session and a nightmare. It's like there are better ways to convey that your main characters are like kind of fucked up after the events of the first movie and the way it does it in this is like bad 
Wait, wait, wait. Reina, I can't believe that you're dragging. I still know what you did last summer this way. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, though. Like, we have a whole fucking scene of Zoe and Ben at the airport discussing things, and then we see her freak out in that extended cut. Why isn't that the prologue of this version? Yeah. yeah. It, it's a perplexing thing. But yeah. also, I thought we weren't talking about the. I know, I know, I, I, I know, Trace. I know. But that, but, but, but that is like, sorry, that's literally something that you could put in this version, and like, right. it works, it works, it would it make does. this version better. There needs to be like a weird, like, I won't dive into details, but there needs to be like a hybrid cut. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet that there's band cuts out there that have done like a more seamless job of incorporating these two in. But you're right, like, there's no reason why that scene can't be in there because at the end of the day, we do end up getting to the same place which is that we drive to new york and what we discover is that this minos building which was a hive of activity online is now derelict your balls and there's an unhoused guy there and he steals zoe's mother's necklace compass i don't know i was like i think this is a plot point from the first film that i cannot fucking care about or remember yeah all we need to know is that they give chase and we end up on the subway and boom folks this is where the movie kicks off all of a sudden we're in a trap and we hit go Okay, so this is when we kind of meet all of our characters. But this is interesting, too, right? Because we we don't really have time to get to know them. Because as you said, yeah, this as soon as, like, they detach from this train, it is go time. Like, we Mm -hmm. don't... I do appreciate that this film, though, between escape rooms, does give, like, two minutes of breathing room for them to kind of, like, gather their bearings and shit. Right. But I think, I mean, honestly, Adrenaline Ride, like, this movie just goes starting here. Yeah. I appreciate how fast it gets to, like oh, here's all the, like, setup nonsense, and then before you know it, you're speeding down the tracks, and it's like, oh, this is where the fun begins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, like, Zoe and Ben are obviously very dismayed to learn there's no conductor, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, I'm getting that familiar feeling. But as an audience, we are getting pumped because we know that this is 100% a trap. Let's get into it. So yeah, let's let's meet our other players. We talked a little bit about hearing impaired Theo, who is played by Carlito Olivero. He's the first one to go. He'll die in this trap. And then we also have recovering alcoholic priest Nate, who is played by Thomas Cockerell. We have travel blogger influencer Brianna, who is played by India Moore. And then finally, we have Rachel Holland Roden, who does not offer much of herself until we get into the elevator post trap one so she's my favorite character in this movie hard same hard (laughs) same it's because she's fucking badass she is i also like so i when i first saw this movie i didn't i had no connection to this actress i've never seen teen wolf which is what she is famous for and she is really good like she starts off as a not great character and by the end of that you're like oh it's her and styles and derek that i love Yes, but my husband did make me watch um, uh, Channel Zero Season 3 Butcher's Block, where she Mm. is one of the two leads in it, and that won me over to her. I I didn't recognize her there, and so when I rewatched this last night, I was like, oh god, that's that girl from Butcher's Block! (laughs) (laughs) Also, justice for Channel Zero, if people have not watched it, I feel like we've shouted it out a couple times. Mm -hmm. I know Girl That's Scary are big fans. It's like, folks, you need to go and seek that out, because it's real good. Uh, and six episode seasons. Ugh, bless. She she is so good in this that yeah. she's mm-hmm. like part of the main reason I want that R rated spinoff. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll have more to talk about in her, mm-hmm. <laughs> her and Brianna's death scene. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So what do we think of this opening train sequence? Like, how does it rank in terms of the other traps or set pieces for you two? I think it's the weakest of the entire film. Okay. So I agree with you. However, I still really like it. It's interesting how similar, like, the pacing of all these escape rooms are, right? Like, we start mm-hmm. kind of, like, low. Hey, like, let's figure shit out. But then, oops, ticking clock. Oops, things are escalating. Oh, my God. We got... It's the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But honestly, with the changing setting, it, it works just every like, time. Yeah, it's it fine. works every time for me. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is a miracle how a ticking clock can just really add to the suspense of a scene. Oh, I think the coolest part is like how this is escalating with like the electricity mm-hmm. getting lower and lower to the floor just yes. rocks yeah because initially you're like okay so they just have to find missing letters or misspelled words in these different advertisements and then they pull the handle that corresponds to the appropriate letter there's 26 of them and they get these little tokens they have to feed the tokens in and then presumably that'll open the trap door like it's relatively simple once they figure it out But then you start to see them get shocked when they have to pull the cord. And you're like, oh, is someone going to have to sacrifice themselves to get the final token? And that's very exciting. That's the thing, though. So each set piece is kind of split in two. The first half is we have to figure out what we have to do. Yes. The second half is, oh, shit, we're almost out of time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, we get some funny shit. You know, the the line I quoted at the top of the episode when uh, when India and Brianna's like, someone throw me the keys. And, you know, it shocks them. And she's like, does somebody want to hand me the keys? <laughs> she gets a bunch of really good one-liners, and her kind of exasperated, frustrated, angry quips are just, they're gems. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But also, it, it's kind of fun. Like I said, I don't love Theo because he feels the most resistant. Like, he he does not want to accept that he's involved in this. And as a result, he's kind of the weak link for me. So in some ways, I'm appreciative of the decision to kill him early because he's a bit dead weight. It's not to say I wouldn't have liked to see this character move forward, but it seemed pretty obvious we were going to have to give the film some stakes and maybe injure or kill someone here. And... I liked the other people enough that I was happy to move forward with them if it meant losing him. I like to. So immediately we have set up here like, you know, oh, hey, they they know the rules. They know they have to work together. So one of Rachel's, it's not even a hero moment, but it's when Theo is getting electrocuted and dying. Mm-hmm. And she just grabs the leather, right. uh, the rubber lining from the perks and like charges into him to get him off. I was like, oh, good. Like, again, it's a little moment, but you've already endeared me to this character by showing her do this. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like in the first film, we were kind of happy or just willing to let people die if they got into too much trouble. Yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, the the reason Deborah Ann Wall was so effective in that first movie is because she was honestly outside of the two leads. The only person where you were like, oh, shit, like that. I she hate that agency. she's dead. Yeah. yeah. And I honestly feel that about pretty much every person in this movie. A hundred percent, which to me is is the mark of a good horror film. Like if a character dies or gets injured and I care, then the movie is doing its job. Mm-hmm. Well, it helps, too, that, you know, right off the bat that they're all like champions. They've all like right. survived this game before. So they know the inner workings of it of like, oh, mm-hmm. we're all meant to work together. This isn't like yes. every man for himself. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, th- and that's that crutch of that first one we're lying on, right? Oh, we got to create conflict. Like, more conflict than th- that is already, like, in the premise of the film. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, look at what we surrounded ourselves with. We don't need extra human drama to make this more exciting. Exactly. exactly. The, like, the film is already a simple, good premise. Why complicate it more than it needs to be? A hundred percent. Yes. So one of the other things that this film does that's interesting, but you don't know to look for it until you've seen it once, is that there are clues in each of the traps because, spoiler alert if you have not seen this movie, it turns out that uh, Deborah Ann Wool's character is still alive. So she's actually been planting secret kind of codes to Zoe in each of the traps. So in the subway train, we have an ad for Hourglass Bay. And then we also have a beach bag that is under the seat. So that's where they get the, the lining that they use to get everything out of. But those are clues that are meant to reflect something about Sonia. And Zoe will start to notice this because in the previous film, the games are always about one of the contestants. Right. But in this one, all the games are linked to, in this version, Deborah M. Wall's character. Well, yeah, Sonia. It, it's Sonia well, in both yes. versions. It's just yeah. that Sonia is different people. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, we'll talk about like the magic of movie editing when we yeah. use that cut. <laughs> Props to the editor of this film. Good there's well there's two and that's what i'm saying i wonder if one of them did the theatrical <laughs> and one of them did the extended i almost just have to wonder if they just like tested both versions with like test mm. audiences and then went with the one that got better scores Which... well let's be real this theatrical cut is much simpler to understand and it's much more audience friendly like Without being disparaging, this is very simple, dumb, dumb audiences can understand it. Whereas the extended cut is like, we're shaking up the game. Yeah, 100%. But that's why it's better. That's why it's better. But (laughs) it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) We'll get there. I don't know if I would say like either cut is better because I like them and dislike them both for different reasons. But I'll dive in more later. We can talk about it when we get to the Deborah M. Wool part. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so the end of this round for this trap is Zoe figures out that we're basically playing hangman with these tokens. We're spelling out a coded message, and the message says, welcome back, Zoe. So in some ways, even though, yes, a lot of these are about Sonia, uh, it's also very much about Zoe. So we duck out of the train car, and we're into the elevator, and we move on. If I were the other people in this game, I'd be like, what the fuck? Why is Zoe getting a personal greeting? (laughs) (laughs) Am I not important? Did I not win my fucking game? (laughs) It's just so like, I know I'm looking for logic in a movie called Escape Room, but it's just so far-fetched in this cut that like, oh, sure. eh. Yeah, (laughs) but I I at least I I like the here's our first breather. Right. And we Brianna is like, y'all, someone just died. Can we like have a moment, please? Just like take to to get over this. When was the last time that we had people say we don't even know each other's names? Does anyone know the person who just died? Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Does anyone even know his name is kind of like (laughs) it's almost like lampshading the fact that we don't know his name. (laughs) (laughs) In my notes, I was like deaf guy <laughs> Ooh, but anyway yeah so this is when we learned that these are all previous champions and zoe is immediately trying to as her therapist said you know she's seeing clues and hints everywhere so she's trying to figure out what unites them and it's not you know oh we've all got something in common 
like in the first game, it's, oh, we all won our games. That's the unifying thing. Well, which technically they do all have in common. This is true. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, it, the first round was much more specific, it seems. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it was personal things. Yeah. Okay, so we move into the next set piece, which is our second trap, the Art Deco Bank. This is my favorite set piece, actually. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, Reina, I'm I'm sensing that this is not your favorite. No, mine is my favorite is later on, but you'll know okay. it when you when we get to it. Yeah. Exciting. No, I'm just I think there's some really again because this one I think is the biggest of the close calls that we get in in the whole film. Right. I love, again, when Brianna steps out on this tile and the lasers go off, oops, oh, her clothes get singed to her skin. Mm -hmm. um, there's a moment when Rachel steps on the counter and oops, like she almost like falls into lasers, but then she falls backwards and like she gets off the the, 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 yeah. the laser button just in time as she's falling. And again, the whole way it ends with, with uh, Zoe running towards that vault. It's like, ooh, 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 ooh. I was on mm -hmm. the edge of my seat, even though I've seen this movie before. <laughs> Oh, it's a full butt clench moment. Yeah. Yes. This scene actually got me with the really good jump scare where he steps on the tile and the lasers instantly come up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just like I jumped about a foot out of my seat last night while watching it. The mm. tension is super good in this scene. It's so yes. good. Yeah. I'm, 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 I know I've said edge on my seat, but I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, go, go, mm -hmm. go. <laughs> it feels almost immersive. Like you, you want this to be interactive because you want to help people spot the clues, make the connections. Interestingly enough, I would say this is the most complicated of all the traps uh -huh. in the film as well. Like when I was trying to write out my notes, it's like the simple version is they have 10 minutes to cross the lobby of the bank before the vault door closes. And the more complicated version is like, we're trying to find numbers. We've got keys hidden in lollipops. We've got uh, a map that's a transparency. We've got diamonds that cut you so that you can wet blood on blank banknotes. Like, it's incredibly complex oh. to the point where it makes no sense that they were able to solve it in 10 minutes. Ten and you minutes. just <laughs> And you just say, fuck it. I don't actually care because it is so tense. It is so exciting. Ben sells it the best where he's like, we're looking for numbers. He's like this fucking numbers everywhere everywhere <laughs> well honestly because for, for me when, when i would have lost at this is when they you know the the the, the time zone clocks change okay mm -hmm. the minute hands means we walk up this amount we go Ooh, left this as a like, girl no i don't <laughs> i'm dead <laughs> well i love that you even have to start on a certain block the the other reason that i think this resonates really well with me is that if you are a fan of things like reality tv mm -hmm. or game shows like i've literally seen a version of this which path do we go and how much do we go forward and left and right like this was on a season of the traders which is like <gasps> Ooh. a really really good reality tv show if folks have not watched it but it's like we've seen stuff like escape rooms in real life but also on shows like survivor and big brother and i think it just really taps into the public's desire to be gently challenged but in a way where i don't have to do everything i can kind of rely on somebody else to figure out that part of the puzzle yeah yeah so all this to say nate ends up proving the biggest hindrance here because his faith leads him to make these really risky moves right like he's acting as though he can sacrifice himself or that god will show him the way and this freaks everybody the fuck out. So I think it does 
come the closest to what we saw in the first film where a human being is actively interfering with their success but in some ways he also contributes to it because he helps them to get most of the way across the room that that's the difference here right because yes what he is doing is a stupid decision Mm -hmm. but he's not doing it just to save himself and leave their asses behind like he's like no i'm still laying lollipops down i'm laying the trap i'm just taking a risk because we are we have three minutes left on the clock Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's honestly kind of the smartest choice anyone makes in this scene i think Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's a risky thing like when you look at how many squares he still has to cross the fact that he doesn't just laser himself to death is woof. it's funny too right because this is the only uh escape room where everyone survives and true. i think that also adds to the suspense for it because you, know, you have been carrying uh nate out of this room and you're like oh my god <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But Zoe is like copping over this counter and she, I mean, these lasers are starting, they're coming up, they're catching up to her. Whoo, man, I'm getting sweaty thinking about it. <laughs> well, it's a good point, Trace, actually, the fact that everyone survives this room because it is the most complicated. They have to do the most things. It arguably has the highest risk of death, except maybe the acid rain. But we can also <laughs> say that that one is gently rigged. Mm-hmm. So... It, it reminds me a little bit of the conversation we had on Patreon when we were talking about Slasher Ripper, where it felt like we always knew what was going to happen because the episode would open with someone and you were like, oh, well, that's the person who's going to die. Right. Whereas in this movie, you know, you expect, oh, we're probably going to kill someone in every trap because that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. And here the subversion is, no, they actually all live for a change. And that's why with the acid room, the fact that two people die in the acid room, that's also kind of a subversion too. Exactly. Yeah. Like this movie isn't afraid to play with our expectations, but it also in some ways is kind of fighting fair. Like the the odds always get evened well okay i so i did go back and i rewatched the very the, the last scene of of the first movie because i couldn't remember exactly i knew it was a plane crash but there's that whole bit where yeah the uh the game maker is like what are the odds of survival four mm-hmm. percent right oh well you better redo it like it's no fun if there's no chance they're going to survive this and so mm-hmm. it was like oh, okay like that's kind of cool right yeah So they do end up all making it. Ben ends up having to carry Nate's unconscious body. And as you said, Trace, Zoe barely makes it inside this vault. Uh, It's a really great moment. But our clue for this trap is we do have a safety deposit box that is marked for Sonya. Yes. And these lollipops are kind of... Sure. uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) so behind the vault is a cave the cave almost immediately caves in after rachel gets a little bit mad at nate for taking such risky moves but then we move into hourglass bay which is the sinking beach set piece i do like this one a lot actually because uh sinking in sand Mm -hmm. is a horrifying thought (laughs) yeah because what you die from asphyxiation right yeah, you suffocate. I will say, though, so I, uh, one interesting facet out of the behind-the-scenes features, again, y'all, there are three five-minute featurettes on this Blu-ray. Boo. <laughs> so when the sand is bubbling, I did think that I, I'm sure there's some CGI overage going over it because sometimes it looks a little cartoony, but sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You can see them filming this scene, and it is real sand. They have, like, air pumps under there, but they were talking right. about how it's really frustrating because, yeah, the air makes, like, water so you sink into it, but once you stop pumping that air mm-hmm. it becomes like concrete and you are stuck inside of it terrifying oh my god as an actor 
no. <laughs> well, and that's the thing uh, with Holland Road and Rachel. You know, she's like waist deep in this stuff for like a mm-hmm. whole sequence. And so she's really just like stuck in there while they're filming this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I will say the moment where Rachel goes under and then Nate sort of ties the rope around himself and dives in. I was very much like, "Ooh, are we doing the princess bride here? Which is kind of fun. Oh, that is what we're doing here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so this one has the least clear through line in terms of game logic. So we have to find a metal detector to grab an anchor. The anchor will open the door to a crab shack. And then we have to find the plug for a fridge that will allow it to power up so that we can go through. Like that's our exit. But then in the process... Zoe also figures out that the lighthouse has a second exit behind the kind of skylight in the wall. So our team ends up almost divided between the two. And as a result, Ben ends up falling into this sinking quicksand because he's trying to climb up to get to her and the ladder disappears. Ooh, that moment, though, when the ladder catches him, his fingers. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) hate that. Hate it. I do like, though, how this room is clever enough to have different times a day. I like how it Mm -hmm. kept shifting, like day, evening, night. Etc. Mm-hmm. Well, I was gonna say I, th- I think this one's the most visually striking out of all the uh, escape rooms. Um, right. Also, we leave this thinking three of these people have died. Like, mm-hmm. well, do we? Two for sure. I honestly, the first time I saw this, I actually did think that Brianna was like in a trap and she was gonna get oh, buried okay. alive in that refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. I-, I thought that was the end of her character. The moment she stepped in that refrigerator, I was like, oh whoops which would have been well honestly though probably would have been a better death than the one she gets (laughs) for the character yeah (laughs) yeah this is an interesting one there's just a lot of moving parts but it is very exciting when everything starts to sink yeah Uh uh-huh it is fun like it it feels epic in scope like the most comparable one in that first film is probably the ice challenge right where they come out of the cottage and the ice starts to crack and so on but i think this one is actually more preferable because they're not at the mercy of elements they just like they really have to use their time efficiently i think for me it's just um you can't have two exits man that's cheating (laughs) that's not fair (laughs) they had the one exit I was going to say, like, to me, this is proof that Zoe is the best game player, because I don't think that second exit is intended to be an exit. I think she just discovers it. Yeah, Um, that's what I walked away with. And then it was like, but they thought one step ahead and they're like, what if somebody tries Mm -hmm. using this? I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, okay. then either way, there shouldn't be a possibility that they can have a second exit in this room. (laughs) Wait, wait, what if Milos is just so fucking evil? They're like, let's give them an exit that they think they discovered. But meanwhile, it's like, oh, joke's on you. You're still in the game. Well, because honestly, what what this and when we get to the acid room bit, what it reminds me of, and I know we've already said Saw, but it's Saw 3. Because remember in Saw 3, Amanda's traps are the ones that like are impossible to That's win. That's right. Right. That's what this reminds and me of. And then Matthews finds a way to get out of one. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny that you say that, Trace, because I actually think the reverse is true. I think that this is Amanda making alterations in the game design to actually benefit the players or specifically zoe 
Well, yeah, it's good if you're Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you could climb that ladder fucking faster, you would have gotten out with her. Well, well, you know what? Then let's move into our acid room scene and you can keep that defense going. <laughs> uh, one quick note. So our clue in this trap is we see mother-daughter mannequins on the beach. So that will later be tied back to Sonya. We should also note that we make a startling discovery in the sequence that Rachel does not feel pain when she burns her hand on the stove and doesn't react. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird narrative decision to have this because it's very perplexing. Like, oh, it's shocking when it happens in the moment. And then maybe two minutes later, she comes out and says, yeah, like, I have this condition. I don't feel pain, like no physical sensations. So that's where we get her story. And you're just kind of like, oh, I kind of thought you were going to tease it out a little bit longer. Yeah. So Robitel talks about this a little bit in, the, in those featurettes as well, where he's kind of like, yeah, like we were, that was supposed to be kind of a tease. Like the, the audience is like, oh, like what's why didn't she react like a normal person would? Mm-hmm. I think this would have been better if it was introduced earlier in the film. Agreed. Yeah. Um, But and here's my thing. I truly think the only reason this character has this I was going to say ability, but right. <laughs> like, the, the inability to feel pain mm-hmm. um, is so that we feel less bad for her when she gets melted in the next scene. Well, I think it's also because we ask her to do the most in the acid rain trap because she is right. constantly being burned when she's handling the ketchup bottle that is filled with water. Yeah, I think they did it so that they can pitch that r-rated spinoff about her oh my god (laughs) and reyna will be the one to write and direct it i would so do that in a heartbeat i'd be like let's go let's give saw some competition (laughs) (laughs) okay so yes we are up to the new york acid rain street this one is very fun because we have rapidly reducing crosswalk timer so the game starts with 90 seconds on the clock and each time we lose either 15 or 30 seconds so they have to act quicker each time so very much that acceleration that you were talking about earlier trace mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my favorite room mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say this must be your favorite room because it's the last one we have <laughs> uh, there's technically sonya's attic uh well sort of but this <laughs> this one is hands down my favorite room like i love when they come up through the grate they're like yes we made it out and then it's like oh psych 360 degree technology and then brianna like comes out it's like no don't let the gate close (laughs) see it's a mindfuck right like i think that's what they were doing with rachel is this kind of stuff where you think you've made it and then no we break your spirit by revealing haha you're just in a different set well and I, I do think this one's really fun. I think it's really fun to watch all these things melt around mm-hmm. them. Um, we're learning about, you know, oh, the rubber that, that can't melt or the, the plastic that can't melt in the acid rain. This is definitely the meanest escape room in both of these films. I think that's why I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we all like Saw, if we all like those kind of sort of more edgelordy films, like this one definitely feels the meanest because nobody makes it out of this room intact. They are all burned by this. Which is like, I get these movies are PG-13, but I kind of wish they would take an approach like that yeah. of like, oh, you may like escape each room, but you are mm-hmm. like messed up after each one. So, okay, but here's the thing. Was it always going to be, hey, y'all, only one person's getting out of this room. Everyone else at this point will die. I don't think so, because a a car holds more than one person. This feels like Minos not playing fair. 
I yeah, that's my thing. Um, and it, it doesn't make me not like it. I'm just like that, that, that showing it that they're they're assholes. Sure. But man, uh, Joe, you know one of my most heartbreaking things to hear in a movie mm-hmm. is when someone says, "I don't want to die." <laughs> yeah. And boy, oh boy, does Brianna say that? Mm-hmm. So, question now. So, okay, everyone. So Rachel and Brianna die in this acid rain thing. They get locked out of the taxi cab uh, while Zoe is stuck inside, and they right. both basically hug each other as they are melted to death. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of those reasons why we all love Rachel is because she says, don't let them see you hurt. Like, don't give them that satisfaction, which is such a brave fucking thing to say when you are facing down death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She has the compassion that you're looking yes. for in a scene like this. Now, to play asshole, it's easy for <laughs> oh, her to say that. Are. No, it's easy for her to say that because she doesn't feel pain. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> she hugs her in a way that it looks like she takes the brunt of it. She's trying to take most of it she can, right? Oh, sure. But then the range is going to melt through her and then hit Brianna. So it's, again, I'm not even, this is not an issue for me. No, but no. unfortunately, Brianna has the most painful death in this movie. The worst. Oh, oh, a thousand percent. She feels the whole thing. Yes! I mean, they do melt pretty quickly. Like, this is a PG-13 film, but if you squint, you can see their outlines dissolve and fall away as the rain comes down. Yeah. Um, But no, I think this is all great. I mean, like, and this, like, I think I even feel more for them than I felt for Deborah M. Wool in that first movie when she did like sacrifices herself for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that one just uh, it felt like Indiana Jones and the uh, uh, Last Crusade, where you're like, oh, people are just kind of falling into abysses. Like, well, well yeah. and even yeah. if you did feel bad for her in like five minutes, you won't feel bad for her in that death. <laughs> well. Uh, uh, <laughs> Okay, I'll save it for the extended cut. But yes, so yes, continue, Joe. (laughs) Okay, so yes, uh, Zoe gets to watch all of this happen. And then the seat and floor falls out of the cab and she wakes up in the final trap, which is Sonya's attic. Here she discovers artifacts that are all tied to this person that she doesn't know. But it's basically like game pieces from the rest of the film. And this is when we discover that Amanda is alive. And not only that, she is the one who has played Game Master for this entire movie. So she was recruited, admittedly under duress. So Minos has her daughter and they said, you know, you have to make the game. But basically they said, we need you to get Zoe for us. So do whatever is required to bring Zoe back. Okay. What do we think of this? Bad. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Bad. Bad Here's movie. The thing. <laughs> I I I will never say no to more Deborah Ann Wall. I, I oh, yeah. she, she is like one of the best parts of that first movie. And I hundred percent. I feel like the audience reaction to her and her death is why they bring her back in this movie. Mm-hmm. However, that to me like really cheapens her death in that first movie. Oh, um yeah. I, I, we do it again with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> we 100% do. <laughs> it's it's so bad all around. Yeah, well, like, you know, implicitly why they did it. It's because she was the fan favorite from that first film. In some way, it kind of makes sense. Like, she was the second best player. She had the closest relationship to Zoe. So, like, narratively and character-wise... It kind of works, but you also have to accept this idea that Amanda would willingly do all of these really fucking horrible things to these people. And it's like, 
sure she's doing it for her daughter but also the daughter's not a character in this movie we never see her so as an audience it doesn't play very well i just also think it's very much a cop-out when a movie does the thing of like oh if you didn't see it it didn't happen it's like Mm -hmm. oh get out of here with that Right. Which, I mean, maybe, oh, it's Peter and we can't show her, like, get squashed on the concrete that she uh-huh. lands on when she falls, mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, but even outside of that, the end of that first movie teases this game master, the puzzle master, puzzle maker, right. with this disguised voice. And so, why are we not going to continue that thread? It just does, it forgets mm-hmm. what the first movie yeah. sets up. It, it feels like we didn't go through anything. We're still at the same position yeah. we were at the end of the first. A hundred percent. Like this movie feels, the theatrical cut feels inconsequential. A honestly. thousand percent. And which I think is my biggest frustration with this sequel as a whole. Yeah. Well, do we feel like maybe... They were worried that by adding too much Minos and the kind of shadowy conspiracy that it would, I don't know, steal the spotlight away from the traps. I'll tell you what I think it was. I okay. think it was I think it was more of like, oh, we're not sure if audiences are invested in our world mm. that we want to build up and our big bad villain. We think they just like, oh, seeing people go through these like deadly escape rooms. Right. Well, Let's just kind of do what the first one did again. Well, Play it safe. And th- but that has to be the studio because, again, Robitel's quote is, I want to go in more Naminos and, like, go yeah. into their stuff. And he was saying that before production even began. Oh, yeah. No, it's a it's a thousand. This theatrical cut exists because of the studio. A thousand percent. Yeah, this feels like the tension and compromise that comes between... A filmmaker who wants to tell interesting stories that take place in a world that he has helped to create. I mean, I'm I'm giving Robotel credit, but obviously it's also these screenwriters. But then the studio saying, Ooh, no, that seems risky. You know, we made a shit ton of money. Why are we going to veer away from an established formula that we know works? Well, I also like, and as much as I love Deborah and Wool, um, Amanda has like nothing to do in this movie. Yeah. I mean, no. even yeah. in these climactic scenes, like she's she's just there she's just there like and, mm-hmm. and it, it's not effective so okay we know that this doesn't really work we don't like this oh i do like zoe's i'm gonna burn all you fuckers to the ground i think that's really sure. fun yeah but then we have the whole twist of the movie what is it joe <laughs> <laughs> okay so yes we get out we make it to the police station we report this uh this special agent freddie will played by scott coker confirms that yeah like we're running raids all over north america we're gonna get minos this time so zoe says like fantastic uh we meet back up with ben we get on a plane because we finally conquered our fear and then this is possibly the most saw like thing where she's walking up the aisle and she's replaying the conversation she had with her therapist and all of a sudden we realize oh no this was all just engineered to get me onto the plane and then gas mask drop down and this minos voice (laughs) comes on the intercom and says did we fool you did we get you, Zoe? The fact that we do not hear the Hello Zap Charlie Clouser score from the song. <laughs> da da da. Da da da. <laughs> Dr. S just comes out of the bathroom. <laughs> Here's the thing I actually don't even mind this as a twist. I think it's kind of fun. It's okay. Yeah. It's just like, in, again, in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, oh, okay. So we're just, again, we're ending where the first movie ended. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole problem with it. Like, yeah, it's a fun and cool ending. And. It is saw-like in nature, but it's still like, 
Okay, so we're ending with the thing that you teased at the end of the first movie. It took us an entire movie to get here. Yeah, like the second movie is literally just an excuse to get us back to where the first film ended, which we had a good time. You know, the journey was enjoyable, but this ending doesn't feel satisfying enough as a payoff. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I don't mind the thanks for flying Minos Air. Cut to credits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fun. So it's fun. A hundred percent. But like, it, you just once the credits roll, you're just like, huh? Yeah. Well, that yeah. that movie that ended it. up being a, yeah. That movie ended up being a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Well, particularly after the kind of emotional gut punch of losing Brianna and Rachel mm-hmm. in that moment. And then having this kind of weak sauce, Amanda return, ooh, secret twist, except it's actually just the first film again. It really feels like, oh, okay, so the acid rain was the peak of that film, like emotionally, intelligence wise, and everything else just feels so ho-hum. It's just, it's a movie that just reeks, reeks of studio meddling. Yeah. Yes. Well, and Trace, that seems like a good segue because... Was this always the plan? So, okay. Everyone, if you are listening to this and you maybe have not watched the extended cut yet, here's the thing. If you start the extended cut, it's basically the whole first 15 minutes of this movie are a new opening. Mm -hmm. We lose the psychiatrist. It's a completely new set of characters. Once you get to the part where Zoe and Ben make it to New York with the Minos and uh, the unhoused person steals her necklace, Mm -hmm. you can move on because basically from that point on all the way through to the acid room when zoe falls to the seat in the taxi cab all of that is unchanged untouched it's the exact same so Mm -hmm. the extended cut basically is a new wraparound but we've got this 15 minute opening and then a 20 minute different ending Mm -hmm. so shall we go through it let's go let yeah let's go through it okay so one one quick piece We searched high and low to see if there were any kind of interviews. There's absolutely nothing on the disc, as we've talked about, that explains why they didn't go for this extended cut or which one came first. What we assume happened because of when Isabel Furman was hired is that the extended cut is actually the original cut. Mm -hmm. And I think, Reina, you nailed it. They probably did tests. Audience didn't entirely like it. And then we cut the beginning and the end reshot them in january of 2021 and here's the thing the extended cut does feel like a bridge like a, the the bridge mm-hmm. between a trilogy right like we're bridging right. the first one to the third mm-hmm. one which you know what i can see how that might seem unsatisfying to an audience but it gets me excited for the next movie oh my god so much oh. if you if you end this extended cut and you don't immediately want to see the third film i don't think these movies are for you and the thing that the theatrical cut, you're like, oh, well, it doesn't feel like a bridge. It just feels like we're redoing the first one. And so I just, I can't, I cannot understand the thought process behind this, truly. So the way the theatrical cut ends, like, if we never got an escape move, room movie after there, I'd be like, damn, Zoe died, end of series. Yeah, like, right. I don't need a third movie. But the way this one plays out, I'm like, oh my god, I want that third escape room movie like now <laughs> yeah like seriously yeah 100 i was about to like say but the twist is at the end of the, of the extended cut so let, let, let's go through we'll, let's what, go through it okay we, we have this new prologue <laughs> here we go so the new opening so we begin with the same recap of the first film so it's like here's what you missed on escape room and then we have an aerial view of the mino symbol which has revealed to be the drive around of a giant mansion and we <laughs> learn it's 2003 we are introduced to sonya 
who is played by Tanya Van Gran. She is coming home with her preteen daughter, Claire, who is played by Aviana Abrams. And she comes in, she drops off Claire. She's like, go to your room, go to bed, whatever. And she checks in with her husband, who is revealed to be a Minos puzzle maker named Henry, who is played by James Frayne. And she's basically like, hey, I can't do this anymore. I'm divorcing you. <laughs> um, hey, correct me if I'm wrong. Do, do we hear about like our clients or our buyers in the prologue? Or is that something we, do. we... Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love, because again, the way the first film ends, you know, okay, we have one mastermind, one puzzle maker, game master who's doing all of this. Mm -hmm. But then the way that this extended cut sets it up is, okay, they they do make these escape rooms, but they're also the hired hand. Right. Which I think is very fascinating. Well, it also suggests that there's multiple puzzle makers. So it's not like, oh, you know, there's one person who does all of this because we learn like these game rooms are super complex, but also it seems like they're happening pretty regularly, right? So in a way, I love the kind of corporate hierarchy where, you know, maybe this guy's on the payroll, maybe he's an independent contractor, maybe he's freelance, but basically we've had to uh, commission out the work to get these puzzles done and they've got to be top notch. We need them delivered on certain times because, hey, the people who are bidding the really high muckety mucks they want Zoe in a game on this date where the puzzles go. But we do learn, though, that James Frayne is the mysterious puzzle maker from right. the epilogue of the first movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice it's a nice little Easter egg that pays off. It's a good bridge to kind of open this movie because immediately you don't know what we're doing. Like after getting that kind of rush, like a montage of the first film, this is what a domestic drama what are we doing it's very intriguing (laughs) very much so Uh... okay so sonia says i'm leaving you fuck you i don't care about your deadlines and he says give me one hour so she puts on her fucking minos one-piece swimsuit (laughs) hops in the pool to do a couple of laps love Uh... it I just rich people problems, man. Okay, right. fine. I'll go swim in our gorgeous pool in our mansion. <laughs> Mark Tesla at the bottom. <laughs> Always. So we see that Claire is, you know, brushing her hair. She's obviously a very independent and intelligent child. And it's fun if you watch this after you've watched the theatrical cut, because we see her taking all of these items and putting them in a kind of like tackle box mm-hmm. chess. And they're all pieces that we will see in the game. So this this way, we're actually foreshadowing game pieces as opposed to doing it after the fact in the attic with Sonya and Amanda at the end of the theatrical cut. So what I love, though, okay, this is like completely like silly logic thing. Mm-hmm. This is 2003, and we're to believe that these people are coming up with escape rooms in the year 2003. <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah. Shit. I didn't even think about that. Like, I can't I, remember when they became a thing. It, it is in the 2010s. Um, okay. They became popular in North America, Europe, and East Asia in the 2010s. Now, it's possible maybe some existed before then, but like sure. they didn't take hold until t- at least like 10 years after this movie began. <laughs> maybe it was just for like avid puzzle solvers yeah. that just wanted a thrill. Rich people yeah. in the dark web. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay so sonia after this relaxing pool swim she's still got some time to kill so she thinks hey i'm gonna hit the sauna and just relax a little bit and she gets locked in and then we start dumping more and more water to elevate the temperature 
And she does have a little bit of a puzzle. She's got to find a magnet that's hidden within the stones. And then she uses it to move the rods that are keeping the door locked. But she dies before she can finish when the temperature hits 290 degrees Fahrenheit. She is so close to being out of there. I was like, bitch, just push it like an inch. (laughs) (laughs) Her skin is literally peeling off. But of course, yeah, so we are led to believe that evil baddie husband James mm-hmm. Frayne is the one that did this. Of course, yeah. So we we still have a little bit more time mm-hmm. in this opening prologue. So we shift to quote unquote present day, and we see that Henry uh is overseeing the plane simulation with the four percent chance of survival. So again, this is paying off the end of the first film. Mm-hmm. And then we get a little bit with Zoe and Ben at the airport. We, we do some cross-cutting between that. So they're preparing to get on board their plane to New York. And then back at the mansion, Henry is checking in with... I I don't know who exactly this character is. So it's Ensler, who is played by Corin Silva. I couldn't figure out if he was a personal assistant or a bodyguard. He's dressed <sighs> all in black. Yeah, this is the one that's like kind of besties with Claire, right? Yeah, yeah. So he does have an instrumental role to play in the finale. Yeah, but I, I, it seems like he was on her side the whole time, but then I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. well, because we're led to believe that Claire has been locked up in this glass box for her entire life? Well, presumably since mom died. Get yeah. a little ahead of yourself, Trace. <laughs> I, but I, <laughs> I'm just saying, nevertheless, she is made out to be the victim in this movie, right? Like, oh, Correct. daddy's got her all locked up um, for seemingly nefarious reasons. Mm-hmm. But again, this is the, the where I was talking about though with um with Ben and Zoe going on the airplane. I was like, why isn't this part of her freaking out? Why isn't that the first thing we see in the theatrical cut? And then right. we cut to her in the therapist's office. Yeah, I, I definitely think it could work, or you don't even need the therapist. Like you could just cut it out and have this play the way it does here, right? Where they say, mm, I'm having flashbacks, I'm still not ready to get on a plane. Mm. So how about we just rent a car and off we go? You do need the therapist though, because it's integral to the twist ending of that theatrical cut. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, you're That's correct. Right. I'm sorry. I've I've jettisoned the theatrical cut from my mind because I don't <laughs> care anymore. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I, I think this is uh, all good. And again, this feels more like a proper sequel than that theatrical cut does oh, already. A thousand percent. Like you get the mm-hmm. instant payoff of like. Oh, they set up the plane for her, but she didn't get on. So now that's oh, a new wrench and everything. Because the, the girl who was doing the test run in the plane at the end of the first movie, she's the fl- uh, the woman who's at like the desk by the gate in the airport. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so she? it's really it's really funny to watch whenever Zoe like backs out. It's she like mm-hmm. looks at them like, oh, shit. Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, she like glares at them like, oh, no. Uh, also, I, I realize we're assuming everyone understands that Claire as a teenager in this glass cage is played by Isabel Furman. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, oh, banged out Isabel Furman. Um, I love her bangs. Not as in like she's been sexed up like she has bangs. No, she just has bangs. <laughs> this is like once I saw her in this kid, I was like, yes. Well, that and she, she gives great. a cool performance. Mm-hmm. So I will say, I think the one area this extended cut fails i think we needed more of isabel Freeman and james frayne weaved in throughout mm. the film a hundred percent yeah but like we need to see them reacting to these characters solving the puzzles which is weird that that wasn't a thing like mm-hmm. literally all they had to change was the beginning and the middle that's why i'm like i need like 
a weird hybrid cut or reaction shots in between like even though it's extended and probably the quote-unquote true version of the film Mm -hmm. it still feels unfinished It, it does it's the weirdest thing so you know after we see that claire is now imprisoned in this glass case you know she talks about how she feels really strongly connected to zoe and it seems clear that her dad has been making her develop some of these puzzles like she's obviously very gifted but she also says you know oh well zoe's not ready so we're we're meant to infer that henry is keeping his daughter abreast of plans like this four percent survival plane ride Mm -hmm. but then this is it we will not see these characters again until the very end of this extended cut and sure, it's a substantial part of the movie, but yeah, you're you're both right. The fact that we don't touch base with these characters again, I think would definitely contribute to bad audience scores because they'd say, well, what the fuck was the point? Like, where did those characters go? Why didn't we see more of them? Yeah. 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 That's why I think this is probably the first version they showed. Mm-hmm. It tested poorly and the studio probably went, no, this is all way too confusing for audiences. Right. We need to scale everything back. But then mm-hmm. it's like, well, why don't you just go back and shoot some new shit with James Frain and exactly. Isabel Furman and then weave that in? I mean, that's the thing. I need to know when Deborah Ann Wall was hired back in. I need to know mm-hmm. that because I do yeah. not know when that happened. And I feel like they did that more of as like a popularity thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. audiences will like her character. They like her from Daredevil already. Yes. Like, it's a smart idea to bring her back. And I fully agree. Like, I think the logic is sound. I don't agree with the way it was actually executed. But what is so ironic to me, so we tease this off the top. If you go looking for explanations of why this extended cut was scrapped or when it was scrapped, you will not find it. No, no one has talked about it. It's like they just said, hey, we've got this other cut and we're releasing it on physical media. And that was it. But you can find interviews with Robitel where he talks about how he got Deborah and Wool to come back, which to me, in hindsight now, feels like the studio saying, go out there and drum up some fucking business. It's so weird to me because this cut feels like something that should have probably never left the studio. It feels like, oh. It just raises more questions, right? Yeah, and there's no explanation (laughs) I almost wonder if it was like a weird contractual obligation, mm. like involving Isabel Furman of like, oh, oh, right. Like I appeared in your fucking movie. Where yeah, is it? Like almost a pay or play contract type deal. Mm. I will say we did reach out to Adam Robitel. As of the recording of this, we have not heard back. But if he does happen to hear it or if anybody wants to pressure him to come and talk with us. <laughs> We would love to get the dirt. Spill that tea. Oh my god! I, see, I'm tr- I'm shitting on him in last week's episode, and you're calling to arms people to pressure him to answer a question <laughs> in this week's episode. <laughs> we just have questions. Look, Adam Rovatel, you're a subject of discussion. We're very interested in you. We love Escape Room too. We honestly do. <laughs> I, and here here's the thing. I think the theatrical cut is like a two and a half star film. Maybe a three if I'm being generous. This extended cut to me is a three and a half star film. It is just shy of being like a really, really good movie because of what we just said. It doesn't feel quite finished. But let's talk about then how this ends. So, you know, we go through all the escape rooms. All that shit's the same. Zoe falls through the taxi cab seat. And yep. instead of ending up in Amanda's children's room, we get... Claire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we 
actually start off with Henry. So he realizes, mm. oh, hey, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like he's got this room full of technicians who are surveying all of the traps and monitoring things, which again, gives you this really interesting peek behind the curtain of how the traps are actually executed. It makes sense of like how they escalate when they do and so on. Like we've got people who are pushing buttons watching as our players are making decisions. So they recognize that, oh, Zoe wasn't meant to do that. And it's because the hard drive that Ensler had in his hand earlier in the film is now inserted into one of these computers. So Claire got Ensler to do this so that we could override the game and bring Zoe to us. So he administers a drug that wakes Zoe up. And then Claire basically does this frantic pitch like, hey, I'm a bitch who's trapped in a box. I've been doing these games, but it's not because I wanted to. My dad is making me do it. He's trapped me in here. If you can help me solve this holographic puzzle, I can get out and we can save Ben, who P.S. is still alive. Um, yeah, I, oh, I look, I, I, Ben needs to be dead. <laughs> yeah. it, it's weird. It feels like we were really resistant to killing this character because they had a bit of flirtation, but it's eh. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's less egregious in this extended cut because we don't also have the resurrection of Deborah Ann Wall's character, mm -hmm. but I still don't really like it in either one. And also, uh, I kind of hate that it's like, uh, Zoe's only brought to action when Ben is threatened. So I'm like, eh, right. boo. Yeah, because he is trapped in the sauna. So the, the same thing that we saw Sonya go through, he is now going through, except... It doesn't appear like he has the skills to get out of it. Like he, he's basically just like, ah, oh, let me out of here. Oh, I'm melting. So Zoe has to get him out. All these movies are is like Zoe saving Ben. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> Which is probably also why we like them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so needless to say, uh, the reason that Claire could never solve this is because she literally needed an outside person to help her. So the two women work together. Claire gets out. Ensler is immediately shot because Henry realizes what has happened. So he has arrived on the scene. And because he's outnumbered, though, we managed to get the drop on him. We lock him in the glass cage. And then Claire's like, oh, don't worry, I can save Ben. So she stops that trap and gives Zoe the keys to say, hey, go rescue your future bland milquetoast boyfriend. I'm going to stay here. I've got all the evidence. I'll turn Minos over to the cops. Leave it to me, girlfriend. I got you covered. <laughs> Needless to say, it does not go down this way. Well, I love, though, because, uh, you know, whenever uh, 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 Henry's locked in the uh, in the glass cage, he looked at Zoe and he's like, do you have any idea mm -hmm. what you've just done? <laughs> yeah. It, it's your first sort of ping moment where you think, wait, what a peculiar thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> but also, maybe you should just be like, my daughter's an evil bitch. <laughs> She's more than that. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, we do get scenes of Zoe going and reconnecting with Ben. He is badly burned, but he's fine. He's got her mother's fucking bullshit compass necklace. It's fine, but it's very clear that this opening and ending doesn't really belong to Zoe, which I think is actually the other reason that the mm. studio said, ooh, what the fuck are we doing? You're saying the protagonist is less important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what we get is we go back to the mansion and we see Claire antagonizing her father from behind the glass. So she confesses that... Uh... Oh, sorry. Before okay, yeah. she sends Zoe on the way... 
Claire confesses to Zoe that Minos had actually been letting other players win. So it's not that the people we saw in this film are bad, but Zoe was really the only true winner. And it's the reason why Minos has always been after her so hardcore. So they orchestrated this tournament of champions, but really Zoe is always the one that they wanted, which again, I think makes more sense. It does. But then it's like, okay, well, then the whole game was right. All these other people were fucked from the get go from the jump. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think also helps to explain the acid rain room. Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. Like oh, it makes yeah. it makes more sense in the extended cut than it does in the um in the uh theatrical cut because mm-hmm. the theatrical cut it really makes Amanda look like a huge asshole. <laughs> right? Like, oh, I I did this because my daughter was being threatened, but also I devised this trap that would purposely murder two people with acid rain. But why but why do multiple escape rooms at that point? Just do one that you know Zoe is going to survive and then have it so where it offs all the rest in one go. Well, the answer to that, Reyna, is then there wouldn't be a movie. Well, it's- I think also, <laughs> based on what we know of the first film, they still had to put on a show for the muckety mucks with the money. So I think they were using it to goose some profits like, hey, we've got other winners but really what we need to do is get enough contestants so that we can pitch them against Zoe. That's kind of the thing that I'm missing from this movie that if we do get if, mm-hmm. if we get a sequel, um, because it's very like hostile part two, right? Where we're kind of right. making this class critique on, oh, look at the rich and how fucking like <laughs> what they do for entertainment. Um, we get hints of it in this extended cut. But not as much. But I, but I would hope that if we ever get a sequel. But OK, but that right. Sorry. Let's finish oh, talking about how yeah. it ends and then we'll talk about where, where it's going to go from <laughs> okay. here. OK. <laughs> So we jump back to the mansion and we see Claire visiting with her father behind the glass. And this is where we get some flashbacks. So as you said, Trace, we thought that it was Henry who killed Sonya. But of course, it's now revealed that it was actually Claire. She is definitely a sociopath because she takes pleasure in other people's pain. Like she pinches her mom really, really hard on the subway and other things like that. Okay, I'm sorry, but she... <laughs> She wants all the lollipops at the bank. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want all of them. (laughs) Okay, Violet Beauregard, like, Uh, calm your tits. She's picking legs off a crab because that's what she does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, animal abuse is actually a sign in a lot of burgeoning sociopaths. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what she is. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that the reason she doesn't like her dad very much is not because he has locked her in this cage. She's actually kind of fine with that because she figures she'll get out eventually. (laughs) But she hates that he censors and stifles her puzzle making. Mm -hmm. She is the puzzle mastermind and he's been taking credit for her work. Mm -hmm. Which is like fascinating dynamics i do wonder if that's maybe the other reason that we don't get more of them because it would be hard to keep this twist under wraps if we got to see them reacting to more of the traps okay how mad would you be if you were isabel Furman <laughs> and this movie comes out and you're not in the fucking thing mm-hmm. yeah, i got paid and i'm on the home video release <laughs> I mean, sure, but, like, also the extended cut's a guaranteed next gig, assuming they make a third movie. 100%, yeah. But I do, so the the last line we get, you know, she's looking at her dad in this, like, glass cage, and she just goes, you and mom are going to be so proud of me when Mm -hmm. you can see what I can really do. Goodbye, dad. Cut to credits. (laughs) Well, yeah, after she Uh... purges the cell, which only had one more escape option, which he obviously will not be able to do by himself, and so she kills her dad, she's already killed her mom, 
And then this movie ends just like that, setting up a third film where it's basically Claire versus Zoe. Yes! And motherfucker, I want to see that so badly. But, okay, so that's the thing for both of you, right? If we, if we get a sequel to this movie, which I do not think we will, but no. if we do... They would have to do a sequel to the theatrical cut because that's what most people saw. Yeah, they're not going to they're not going to do the route of like, poor example, but the Flash just came out and it acknowledges events in Zack Snyder's Justice League instead mm -hmm. of the theatrical cut. Right. They're not going to pull a like, oh, we're only going to make a sequel to the extended cut. Like if they do a third escape room movie, it's going to be a sequel to the theatrical cut, I think. So my pitch is that you could still repurpose the scenes from this extended cut, maybe dial them down. But in the opening montage, you interlace the Claire and Henry stuff. So that becomes the new contextual opening. So it's like, here's what you missed with Zoe and Ben. But also, it was Claire and Henry pulling the strings all along. And then we just go into it. It doesn't mm -hmm. make sense, though, the Sonya thing, because that's Deborah Ann Wool's daughter. Well, no, no, no. So, so what you have to do is, again, this is the, you know, the magic of editing, right? You know, mm -hmm. so like we have different endings where Sonya is two different people. What you have to do, yes, I like what you're saying, Joe. You kind of like... We recap the events of Tournament of Champions in the beginning of the third film. And then it's like the twist is, oh, look, it's actually these two people that were doing it the whole time. Mm -hmm. and yeah, because we did this in the Saw films, remember, where we yeah. didn't we have Hoffman making other people believe that there was another killer and then it was actually him. And we find out in like another movie or something. Well, but the difference is, though, those twists are always safe for the end of the film. We don't get True. twists in the prologue recap. And so that's no. what a third film, a third escape room would have to do we would have yeah. to recontextualize all those events in the beginning of the film not save it for the end because then exactly. then the third film would just feel like a rehash of this extended cut oh god <laughs> but but yeah you would have to make claire's mom not be named sonia and just have like another reason for it um but yeah like honestly if if we do get a third film and it is not acknowledging the extended cut i kind of don't want to see it it would be a creative failure but i could easily see everything that reyna you've been saying this entire episode i'm like yeah no they would they would just be like okay theatrical cut sequel here we go no a hundred percent like if they're willing to butcher their movie to like this level like they're willing to say it never happened i could totally even see them doing the route of like oh third escape room movie mm, zoe's not in it this time and it's mm -hmm. just minos as a corporation like continuing the games well, right, because it'd be very easy to say, oh, she didn't get out of that 4%. And then if you wanted to, you could bring Taylor Russell back for a cameo in the end where she's like, haha, fuckers, I'm still alive. Yeah. I mean, cause here, I mean, it made enough money to where I, I don't really know why they aren't doing a sequel to this. I know it was a huge uh -huh. drop in the first movie, but it, it turned a profit. Yeah, that's that's the important thing to remember, Trace, is the theatrical version turned a profit. Mm -hmm. well yeah for sure <laughs> but i'm just saying though i mean like regardless of what kind of sequel we get i'm just we surprised should still be getting a third one like yeah. it, it is surprising like sure that was a steep drop off but we have seen steep drop offs where films still become franchises i think honestly the fact that it made less than 100 million gave sony cold feet Mm. on green lining a third one right away sure sure but if this movie cost 30 million dollars i might be more inclined to be like yeah sure whatever but it was only 15 million dollars like it still made yeah like over four times its budget such a cheap investment it's mind-boggling like something had to have gone down 
behind closed That's, doors that, uh-huh. they're, that they're like, listen, we'll put out the extended cut, but also we're not even going to bother with the third movie. Okay, actually, you know what? We say this, but let's look at other pandemic-related examples. So, Reina, you mentioned Candyman, which was very well-received and made a shit ton of money and was actually pretty dirt cheap to make. We have not gotten a sequel to that. And then we also got Freaky in the middle of the pandemic, and that was a pretty low-budget effort that made not a ton of money, but it has a lot of audience goodwill. Um, and we've wait, never wait, gotten wait. a sequel to that either. Um, also, though, with Candyman, so that budget was $25 million. Worldwide, it made 77 Okay, I also need really? to say something about Candyman is I don't think we're going to get a sequel to that movie no. because fans are going to expect Tony Todd coming back now. Ugh. Which I love Tony Todd, but like that was not his movie. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. But the way they ended that movie is like, oh, mm-hmm. I know people that went and saw it. They walked out. They're like, oh, the original Candyman's back for the next movie. And I'm like, oh, no. that is not the takeaway I have. from No, that. yeah. I'm like that is a cameo. That is a bone for fans. That's it. Yeah, no, that is that is like general audiences. were walking out going like, oh, the original's back now. No, the whole point of the ending is like I- I- any of these th- these black people that were murdered, <laughs> any of them can be Candyman. They are all Candyman. Yeah, no, general movie audiences, it's the whole reason we have the theatrical <laughs> cut of Escape Room 2. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm it's too I, complex. All it's I'm too... saying is, it's not my fault that people are stupid. <laughs> no, yes, well done, Trace. Way to make it about you. <laughs> and in a weird way, I'm super glad this extended cut came out because... Thank God. It's weird that it's like a studio basically going like, you know what, there is like kind of a better version of this movie here you go and hypothetically in the audience for it we just didn't have the confidence to release it into theaters but but no but but that's the thing though again what, what you said earlier Raina, where it's like normally this cut would have taken at least two years to come out mm-hmm. if if it even came out at all yeah, yeah i remember seeing the news on bloody that it was going to be on blu-ray and i was like wait well what so, so so this comes to theaters in july and the blu-ray comes out in october with this extended cut so it's this wild. was planned they planned this this was not a spur of the moment decision it was probably to try and make back even more money yeah. with the home video release sure. to green light a third one and i just don't know the metrics of how they're even going to decide which mm-hmm. one to follow up on like my gut check says oh they're going to follow the theatrical one because that's what came out that's right. the one most people probably saw 100 percent. when you talk about this movie with people most mm-hmm. people have not seen the extended cut yeah oh but okay so interesting so i know we mentioned earlier oh like where which one's streaming i know voodoo has both Mm -hmm. if you search for this on amazon there are two different entries to rent i'm sorry you can only buy it you have to buy it on prime video but they have theatrical and then they have extended cut and that's double the revenue if people buy both see the double dip fuck off see that's not that's bad business practice. That's bad business because also people are going to go like, I'm just going to rent the theatrical for $3.99. Oh, no, no. They're both $12.99. Oh. <sighs> yeah. Still? Now, y- yes. The, but the difference is, here's the thing. The theatrical cut, you could also get it included with your stars membership. That's mm. not included in the extended cut. So you can either buy the theatrical for $12.99 or have a stars membership, or you can buy the extended for $12.99. So I'll also add this like personal antidote with like the home video release of this movie. I, I go to like a record store regularly 
like multiple record stores to like browse their like physical media sections Mm -hmm. could not for the life of me for the longest time find escape room one or two really in their brand new or used section it was always sold out well good also y'all don't buy these digitally like um because the blu-ray with both versions is 13.99 right now (laughs) exactly and it's honestly it's well worth it like even though there's it's bare bones but you get both copies of the film and it is honestly fascinating to watch them and compare them yeah and you get a digital copy and voodoo has exactly yes physical media everyone buy blu-rays <laughs> always always with the physical if you actually like the movie and you want to own it don't trust digital especially because it seems like streaming is about to implode oh, that's honestly yeah it's um doom and gloom for streaming <laughs> I was gonna right say, that, that's maybe a whole separate conversation for yeah. another time <laughs> but you know what i will gladly be posting pictures of my physical media collection going na 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 and the entitlement is there I'm just saying, like all these people that are like, why are you buying Blu-rays? Everything's on streaming. And I'm like, not forever. So we need to start the campaign to get everyone to buy the Blu-ray for Escape Room 2 so that we can show Sony that Mm -hmm. we want a sequel to the extended cut. And then make sure that you're you're listing that you're watching the extended cut and not the theatrical. Or if you're really just adamant against physical media, just go buy the fucking extended cut on digital release. There we go. We've solved it. Because they are separate. Like, you can't buy a two-pack for $12.99. <laughs> so, I know there's a two-pack DVD of Escape Room 1 and 2. Is it the extended cut in that two-pack, or is it only theatrical? Um, I'm looking at it now. Multi-feature DVD. It looks like it's just theatrical. Oh, yikes. I know a lot of people that bought that. <laughs> mm-hmm yeah uh, um, also it's dvd it's not a blu-ray like there's yeah. no blu-ray double feature oh okay um anyway y'all whatever watch the extended cut um yeah, <laughs> yeah just watch the extended cut hopefully we have enticed you by spoiling the twist but also it's really worth watching yeah, yeah. i wouldn't say it's better because i think it does stuff just as sloppy but I definitely think it's more interesting. It's the mm-hmm. one that I would like to see followed up on. Absolutely. It feels like a more a more complete film, even though we've all said it's like not really complete. But it also feels the most like an actual sequel that ju- it justifies its existence more than the theatrical right. cut does. Mm-hmm. It has something new to say, and it would take the franchise in a completely new direction. Which is what critics of this film <laughs> want mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. And you would still have, like, your exciting escape room games to Mm -hmm. play with in a third film. But, I mean, A, you get Isabel Freeman, which is amazing. But, like, getting to see the showdown between these two, if Zoe gets to figure out that she has an adversary, Mm -hmm. how fun would that be? You gotta make it rated R. (laughs) That will never happen. They will not do that. No. Um... (laughs) You gotta. R-rated horror is where it's at. I'm trying to think. Like, I've seen franchises go from R to PG-13, like Scary Movie, like Terminator. But have we Mm. had a PG-13 franchise go to R? Um, I'm sure if I can really think on it, I'm sure. I was going to say, somebody will let us know. Yeah. Not like in its theatrical runs, but like 
the DC movies went from PG-13 with Man of Steel to R for Batman versus Superman. Oh, that doesn't count. Here's the thing. Why would a franchise go from R to PG-13? It's to expand the potential audience base, right? Mm-hmm. If you are going from PG-13 to R, you are automatically limiting your audience for that. So I just, I, I don't see a world in which a sequel to this film I gets I feel like something recently just came out where it was like, oh, the sequel is rated R. Isn't the Meg? The first no. one was PG-13, the second one's R? No, they're both PG-13. They're both PG. Yeah. Oh, yuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Trace, take us home. Anyway, okay. Right. So, <laughs> before we announce what we're covering next week, everyone, uh, Reyna, thank you for coming back to uh, coming back to visit us and to also talk about this film. But um, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at JFC Doomblade. I pretty much uh, snatched up that name on every platform (laughs) you can find my work at bloody disgusting i'm the lead games critic for the site but yeah you could just find me there those are the two main homes i'm currently at nice well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers. And tune in once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. And if you have a moment and you love us, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want to support us financially, um, go to patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you sign up at the highest level, you will get up to 251 hours of extra content. And this month we are continuing our journey into the further with episodes on the whole Insidious franchise, as well as an episode devoted to Patrick Wilson's new sequel, Insidious the Red Door. We are also double dipping on Bird Box this month, talking about Bird Box Barcelona and an audio commentary on the original Sandra Bullock film. We will also be rounding out the month with Marianne director Samuel Bowden's new film Cobweb. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joe. Oh, God. <laughs> what juggernaut are we talking about next week? All right. Well, it's about time that we go far into the past and talk about, as you said, it's a juggernaut. So we talked about Peeping Tom, but now we need to touch base with the other classic film that basically created the slasher subgenre. So we're going to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Yes. Finally, after doing Psycho 2 and Psycho 3, we are finally making our way to the original. Hmm. Well, hopefully all good things to those who wait. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, until then, we can cross <laughs> out Escape Room Terminator Champions Theatrical Cut and Escape Room Tournament of Champions Extended Cut. Oh boy, that's a mouthful. Yep. Yes, uh, and cross out Horror Queers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>